we come to this part of our, our service where we get to walk through the Word of God. Before we do that, first of all, happy Father's Day. Wow, that was less than... I, I, don't, I don't know. I think we need a little bit better than that. Happy Father's Day. If you are a father, hopefully you received one of the books that we have for you as a gift because we want to encourage you as fathers in your walk with Jesus Christ. There is truly, it's, it's a blessing to have a godly father. So all the fathers here who are wanting to walk your children into the fear and admonition of the Lord, thank you, number one, and may God bless your endeavors, sincerely. Raise up for you a godly family. Father's Day is also interesting because when you walk up to most of the people and you tell them, you know, somebody comes up to you and says, Happy Father's Day. If you're a father, what you want to do is you want to say, Happy Father's Day to you. That doesn't work so well because half of that, three quarters of the people are not fathers. I have told youth today, Happy Father's Day. You can ask Court in the back because I did. (laughs) I have been, exactly, I know. You know, I, I... most of the women who walk up to me like, Happy Father's Day, I want to say the same thing, but they're going to take it totally wrong. So it's one of those strange, uh, you know, if you will, holidays that, that you wish well to people, but the reciprocating nature doesn't always come back in the same way. But for those of you who are fathers, Happy Father's Day. May you be well celebrated today, sincerely. All right. What we're doing here at Heights is we're going through the Bible in five years. So if this is your first time here, this is what we do. We, we read through the Bible six days a week. If you'd like to know what we're reading through, you can go to the information desk. There's a schedule of reading that we're doing that you are welcome to have. We, we ask for a donation, but if you don't have the donation, we just want you to have the reading plan. Because we want you following along with us so you know what the Word of God says. Because what happens on Sunday is we go through in whole or in part the scripture readings that we have done over the last six days together. Now, for those of you who are like, well, I'd like to know a little bit more, we also have uh, um, a YouTube channel that goes through videos that give you daily devotionals based upon the readings that we're doing. We do the entirety of the reading uh, on the videos as well as break out a, a little, if you will, a little lesson that you can, you can apply to your lives on a weekly basis. You get a better understanding of that. And you can find that at youtube.com backslash Heights Christian Church. We invite you to subscribe to the channel, click the bell for notifications so that you guys can receive a devotional every single day of the week and walk, with, walk through the Word of God with us together. And right now, we have begun the riveting book of Leviticus. I, I just don't see the same enthusiasm that I had going through it this week, obviously. So, Leviticus, if you'll remember, we we got into the very end of Exodus, and the end of Exodus is the building and the coronation of the tabernacle where God comes into this place with his people, the presence of God among his people located in this place. And we talked last week about the difference between that and what we have in the New Covenant and how those things have changed. I really encourage you, if you weren't here last week, listen to that sermon. You can find those sermons online. You can go to our website and check that out. But it'll explain a lot of what's going on. 
Because now we have a totally different way of worship. We have a different experience for the people of Israel because now we have a corporate worship that's going to happen. And Leviticus is the instruction booklet of that worship. How many of you are gamers? I am a gamer. Those of you who know me, I am a huge gamer, okay? You come to my house. I have a wall of games. And then I have, I have a table that has games underneath. And I have a closet of games. We like playing games in our house. And whenever you get a new game, one of the things we do is, you know, you pour over the instructions on how to play the game. Because we don't play like your Monopoly games. We have Monopoly, but it's kind of like, oh, that's nostalgic. It's up there. It's still in the wrapper. Okay? We like the more complex types of games. Ossenburgers, would you agree with us? We like the more, more complex types of games where we have to sit down. We were, I was given a uh, game by my daughter-in-law that it took us four months to finally play it. Because every single time I would sit down to learn how to play it, it was just too much. I even had to watch a video, and I was like, I'm going to watch a video, see if I can figure it. No, not, did not work. It took us four months to finally play the game. Now we got it down, we know how to play it. It's, it's not as hard as it seemed like, but the instructions were written in such a way I couldn't figure it out, right? <laughs> Solitaire, nice. Um, so, <laughs> so that is that's that's kind of what we're looking at here. Now, if you have games, how many of you like playing Uno? Raise your hand if you like playing Uno. All right. Real question here: How many of you play House Rules or Uno? You change things up from the original game, what's in the instructions, and you have, we stack draw twos. How many of you do that? Stack draw fours? Right? How many of you do the crazy stuff? Like when you play a seven, you pass to somebody else. When you play a zero, everybody passes around. Some of you are going like, what kind of Uno are you playing? There are all these different types of house Unos. Now, here's, here's the funny thing, is that if you go to an Uno tournament, I'm sure they have those, right? House rules won't apply. It won't matter how you have played on your own, because the only thing that matters is the instructions that are given. And this is important for us to understand today, because Leviticus is the instruction booklet for the worship of the people of God and how to use the tabernacle and how the priests are to be used and all of that. We got through the first seven chapters this week. And so these seven chapters that we go through, there's a, there's a lot going on. And I want to kind of give you the, the, the synopsis of what these first seven chapters are about. They're about offerings. Who gets the offerings? How to present the offerings how the priests are supposed to deal with the offerings. Some of these offerings the priests get to eat because God doesn't need the food, right? So the priests get to eat. That's food for the house of the Lord, for, the, for God's people who are doing the ministry work of service that God has asked them to do as priests. So they get sometimes a portion, a wave portion of the leg, or they, they get a breast portion, or they get the leftovers of the burnt offering, or they get... You know, part of the uh, grain offering, you know, that's made into cakes and flowers and, and the like. Okay? So they receive some of what is given to God. 
The other part of it being burnt up on the altar. You can read the different portions. And some were forbidden for the priests to have. There were certain portions of the, of the uh, sacrifices that they were not supposed to have. Like the blood. They were never supposed to eat blood. Because the blood ultimately represents the blood of Christ that is given for you and me. So to eat the blood would be a profane thing for the people of Israel and for the priests to be able to do. They weren't supposed to eat the portions that were dedicated to God. The fat portions and and the other parts that were supposed to be this succulent uh, flavor before the Lord that is offered to him. A pleasing aroma. Everybody kept wondering, what would it be like if you went to uh, the tabernacle where they're doing all these sacrifices? It would smell like a barbecue. How many of you like barbecue? Oh, yeah. It's like, we're going to the Lord. Oh, we're almost at the Lord's house. It's pleasing aroma. Oh, yeah, it's pleasing. Right? So you walk into this place, and there were these prescribed methods, and there were these prescribed offerings. And so we read about five offerings this week. And these offerings were the burnt offering, the grain offering, the fellowship or peace offering. It's called, it's called one or the other, depending upon your translation. The sin offering and the guilt offering. These were the five offerings that were given. Something to be noted about concerning, say, the burnt offering and the grain offering. The burnt offering and the grain offering were prescribed, but only prescribed in the sense that people, when they wanted to show their gratitude, their love for God, they would go out and give a burnt offering or a grain offering. And a grain offering was something anybody could give because it was just some flour that they would use to make these cakes that would be used for the worship of God. Uh, a portion, just a small portion of the flour would be dusted onto the altar and burnt up. And the rest of it would be cooked into these cakes that would be then eaten by those who were serving. The burnt offering was a more extravagant gift that you were giving God. You're giving a bull, you're giving a ram, you're giving something that is, that is without defect, it's perfect. It costs you something. See, cattle is money in this time. Yes, they had sanctuary shekels and, and things that they, that they uh, traded back and forth, but in general, a lot of the monetary stuff that they had was through either land or money, or either land or, or livestock, excuse me. You know, so either the grain that we have or the harvest that we have and the land that we own and the cattle that we produce. So giving God the best of your cattle, the best of your flock was an extravagant gift. And these were free will offerings. These weren't prescribed that you had to do this all the time at certain festivals or anything like that. The burnt offering was given because you wanted to give. The grain offering is given because you wanted to give. The fellowship offering sometimes was that same way. Sometimes it had to do with God being so good to you that you wanted a fellowship or a peace offering because God has blessed you and I want to be that same blessing to God. So that would be something that you would give. Or if there was a vow that you took, hey God, if you get me out of this jam, I promise that I will give to you the best of my flock right here. And God gets you out of this jam. God, you've been so good. Uh, you know, I love this, this wonderful sheep right here. 
but Lily, you're going to God. And I'm going to go give this because I'm fulfilling my vow before God that if he does this, this is my fellowship, my peace offering before the Lord. The last two offerings are very interesting. The first one is the sin offering. And those of you who followed along this week during our uh, devotionals online, you found out that the sin offering, if you did your reading this week, the sin offering on the surface sounds like, oh, well, this is an offering for sin, right? So if I've sinned, I'm going to do this. Well, kind of, but not exactly. This is an offering for unintentional sin. Something that you've done that you weren't supposed to do, but you didn't know that you did it. This would be like, you know, I have something of my neighbor's. I thought I returned it. He accused me of stealing it from him. I went in my garage and, oh my goodness, I still have it. I didn't know I had it. I didn't know I had taken it from him. My neighbor was right in saying that I stole it. But now that I've found it, I need to both pay back to my neighbor what I have taken from him. And I need to go before the Lord and have a sin offering. To say, God, I I did not mean to do this. But because I have done this, I'm now going to have the sacrifice to atone for my unintentional sin. The guilt offering is much the same way. But the guilt offering is the only offering that is given for intentional sin. It's a little bit different because we would imagine the sin offering would be that, right? But it's not. The guilt offering is the one that does that. And not all of the guilt offering is necessarily for intentional sin. Some of it was reserved for other unintentional sin, but having to do with the holy things of God, right? Having to do with the tabernacle, having to do with the sacrifices, having to do with the really important things that maybe I was just ignorant about it, but the guilt offering is is kind of a notch up from the sin offering. The sin offering is unintentionally not doing things toward one another and wronging somebody. The guilt offering is either covering that which is intentionally done wrong or unintentionally toward the holy things of God. So we get an idea of these five different types of offerings. This is what would be used on the altar. And the people needed to know how to do that. The priests needed to know how to do that because this was a whole different way of worship. They hadn't done this before. Nobody had done this before. That's why this instruction is so important for us. And yet... There are elements about this that I think you and I should understand that there are things within the offerings that are given that have to do with the character of God. Because we can look at, for example, all of these offerings and all of the prescribed proper offerings for each one of these, whether it might be the burnt or the grain, the fellowship, the sin, or the guilt offering. Here is a lamb for my flock. It's without defect. It's exactly as God has prescribed me to give. Right? We can do that. But the problem with you and me and the sinful nature of man is that once we're kind of given a formula to stuff, you and I are quick to turn that formula into a, if you will, a license to be able to do the dastardly things that God doesn't want us to do. Because now I have a form by which to go back and be able to 
do what I want. So if I do what I want, no big deal. I can just go give a sin offering. I can go give a guilt offering, right? No big deal. I can just show God how much I love him by providing a burnt offering or a grain offering or a fellowship offering. God, get me out of this place and I promise I will do this for you. And sure enough, that happens. And so here is my fellowship offering because you got me out of this jam. We are people who Pastor Mark oftentimes says, you know, we're very easily self-deluded people, right? Believing in our own goodness or thinking that we can make up for stuff so easily. And this would get the people of Israel in a lot of trouble because I want to point out how important some of these things are. I want to take a look at some Old Testament passages beyond what we read in Leviticus this past week to have you guys look at this. Jeremiah chapter 14. Jeremiah served after the law had been established nearly a thousand years. And as the law was established for nearly a thousand years, we saw the people of Israel turning away from God again and again and again and again. And as they turned away from God again and again and again and again, judgment was going to come. And Jeremiah was the prophet by which the judgment of God would come upon the people of Israel after they had had this covenant for a while. But as we read this passage of Scripture... In Jeremiah 14, starting in verse 7, I want you to notice some of the things that are said and some of the things that are not said. Jeremiah chapter 14, starting in verse 7, Although our sins testify against us, O Lord, do something for the sake of your name. For our backsliding is great. We have sinned against you. O hope of Israel, its Savior in times of distress, why are you like a stranger in the land? Like a traveler who stays only a night. Why are you like a man taken by surprise, like a warrior powerless to save? You are among us, O Lord, and we bear your name. Do not forsake us. This is what the Lord says about this people. They greatly love to wander. They do not restrain their feet, so the Lord does not accept them. He will now remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. Then the Lord said to me, do not pray for the well-being of this people. Although they fast, I will not hear their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with sword and famine and plague. Do you notice what God said to Jeremiah? First of all, don't pray for this people. That's, that's terrible. On top of that, he says, I will not accept their burnt offerings or their grain offerings. They come and they're fasting and they're weeping and they're wailing and they're saying, God, we love you so much. Here's a burnt offering. Here's a grain offering. And God's like, I want nothing to do with that. That seems like such a strange response, right? It's not the only time we see that. As a matter of fact, earlier, before things got this bad, in the time of Amos, if we'll take a look in Amos chapter 5, we see similar language taking place. Amos chapter 5, starting in verse 18. Woe to you! 
who long for the day of the Lord. Wow. That, first of all, that's kind of a crazy thing. The day of the Lord. How many of us are wanting the day of the Lord? I do. I want Jesus to come back. How many of you want to see Jesus come back? But there's some caution here because he says, look, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. As though he entered into uh, his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. And even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. And here we have another time in which the people are wanting the day of the Lord. I can't wait. I can't wait for the Lord to show up. You think that's going to be a great day? No, that's not going to be a good day. That's going to be a bad day. That's going to be a really bad day. Don't you understand that that's going to be a day of darkness and not light? A day of judgment that is coming upon this world? The people of Israel and later on people of this world, right? When Jesus comes back, that's a day of judgment. You guys realize that, right? You and I, being believers in Christ, we know we are saved from the wrath of God, but those who do not know, guess what? That is a day of sorrow. That is a day of judgment. That is a day that we're not looking forward to for those people because if they don't know Jesus, guess what? It's not just, it's not just a, a pithy, no heaven for them. It is an eternal separation from the goodness of God forever. And yes, we get to be with Jesus forever. But man, be careful. As this world is getting worse, it's a very easy thing for you and I to say, hey, I can't wait till Jesus comes back. Jesus, come quick. Jesus, take the wheel, right? And you and I aren't thinking very straight sometimes when we think like that. Because as terrible as the things that we're seeing in this world is, That means all of those things by which those terrible people come and there'll be the righteous judgment of God against them. Does Jesus want them in his kingdom? Absolutely he does. Of course, we can't make that happen. And yes, we do want Jesus to come soon. It's the last words in uh, Revelation. But I think we also need to be sober-minded about it. It's not just an escapism for you and me. It should be a sober-minded understanding that the judgment of God at that moment is coming for the people who are there. And he's talking to the people of Israel here in Amos. And he says, look, I don't like your burnt offerings. I hate your religious festivals. Who instituted them? God did. He's talking about all these religious festivals that we are going to be reading about, that we've already read about. The Day of Atonement. The Feast of Weeks. We're going to be talking about all these religious festivals. He says, I hate them. I hate your burnt offerings. I hate your grain offerings. I don't even like your fellowship offerings. And though you offer them to me, I won't listen. 
Why is that? We get a hint when we look at the life of King Saul. King Saul is the first king of Israel. We haven't got there yet in our readings. We'll get there next year. But King Saul is the first king of Israel, and he gets off to a really rough and bumpy start, right? He shows up the first time, and and Samuel has said, hey, before you go and do this, I've got a a sacrifice that's going to be made. You wait, wait for me. We'll make the sacrifice, and then you can go and attack. Happens in 1 Samuel chapter 13. They wait seven days. People are getting antsy. People are starting to leave. Saul says, I'll offer the sacrifice myself, which was not allowed for him to do because he's not part of the priesthood. And as soon as he finishes the sacrifice, guess who shows up? Samuel does. What are you doing? God's going to take this kingdom away from you and give it to somebody else. And so another opportunity is given for Saul to be obedient to God. And he's supposed to go and kill this group of people and kill everybody about them because they have done evil in the eyes of God and he is their judgment. But you know what? Saul decides to keep the best of the cattle, to keep the king alive as well. Even though this was against the word of the Lord. And Samuel confronts him a second time. This is found in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Verses 22 and 23, he says this. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. See, Saul had told Samuel, we had saved the best of all of these cattle, the best of all of these sheep for sacrifice to the Lord your God. This is why you see the comparison between that and a burnt offering. We were going to give this to God and say, thank you, God. We, just, we love you so much. We have all of this. But he was, already, he was already commanded by God that he was supposed to destroy all of that. Not offer it up as a sacrifice to him. He was supposed to destroy all that. And so when he didn't destroy all of that, and then he comes and Samuel says, what? No, we just left the choicest one. So sacrifice to the Lord your God. To obey is better than sacrifice. God God would rather your obedience than your burnt offerings. Because a burnt offering wasn't required It was something you did out of a heart of gratitude. But what has to come first is obedience. And if you're not being obedient, then the burnt offering means nothing. The grain offering means nothing. The fellowship offering means nothing. You guys begin to see? These three These three very important offerings that were all given for the people of Israel to give, right? They meant nothing if we were walking in disobedience. 
Because if I'm walking in disobedience, then why would God care whether or not I say how much I love him because I'm showing how much I disdain him by not obeying him. Right? Notice the sacrifices that are not mentioned in God's judgment. It's not just that he mentions the fellowship offering and the grain offering and the burnt offering because these were all given a free will by the people. He doesn't mention in these judgments, did you notice? The sin offering and the guilt offering. Because the people were coming to God saying, I love you, but I want to live the way that I want to live. I love you, but I don't have anything to turn away from or repent of. I want to have my sin and my worship of God too. I want to be able to continue to live this way and do that. And this is why God says, I hate your religious festivals. I hate what's happening. You know why? Because you say that you love me. You bring all of these ones that you can bring, but you know the ones you ought to be bringing? The sin offering and the guilt offering. Let's take a look at that real quick. Uh, Leviticus chapter 6. This is the guilt offering. This is the only offering that is mentioned in the scripture for the people for a rebellious heart against God. The Lord said to Moses, if anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving his neighbor. This is no longer unintentional sin. That's important for you guys to see. This is deceiving. I know it's wrong. I'm doing it anyway. Deceiving his neighbor about something entrusted to him or left in his care or stolen or if he cheats him or if he finds lost property and lies about it. Or if he swears falsely. Or if he commits any such sin that people may do. When he is thus sins, when he thus sins and becomes guilty, he must return what he has stolen or taken by extortion or what was entrusted to him or the lost property he found or whatever it was he swore falsely about. He must make restitution in full, add a fifth of its value to it, and give all the owner, uh, give it all to the owner on the day he presents his guilt offering. And as a penalty, he must bring to the priest, that is, to the Lord, his guilt offering, a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for him before the Lord, and he will be forgiven for any of these things that he did that made him guilty. See, we want forgiveness of sin to be something that's just between us and doesn't cost us anything. Oh God, I love you. I love you so much. I love you. Thank you. Thank you for dying for my sins. Here's a burnt offering for you. Here's a fellowship offering for you. Because I don't like saying that I'm a sinner. I don't like saying that I'm wrong. I don't like saying that I'm in need of repentance and turning away from things. I I don't like any of that. Did you notice that God despised all of their free will stuff, but the ones that were required for their rebellion against him, notice he left those out. When he was bringing judgment in Amos, when he was bringing judgment in uh, Jeremiah, when we talk about the judgment that was given to, uh, to Saul from Samuel, what does it all have to do about? Disobedience. It's all disobedience. 
What is a proper way of dealing with that disobedience? It's either through the sin offering of unintentional sin or the guilt offering of intentional sin. But to do so means I'm in the wrong. And people back in Israel and people today hate admitting they're wrong and that they're in need of a savior. So it's easy to give the burnt offering. It's easy to give the fellowship offering. It's easy to give the grain offering. But if I'm walking up to the temple and I'm going to go to the altar and I'm going to present before the Lord a sin offering or a guilt offering, I'm confessing before the priest and everybody who's there that I have done something terribly wrong that needs to be restored by the Lord through the sacrifice. It's like walking up at the altar at the end of the service because at the end of the service I may need to pray for something, but if I go up and pray for something, people might think that there's something wrong in my life. And yet we're told in the scripture As believers in Christ, confess your sin to one another so that you may be healed. How is that any different than what they were doing at the sacrificial altar? Right? The guilt offering, the sin offering, it's offered for what? That they might be forgiven, right? That they might be healed. Guess what? We are commanded to do the same thing. That we are supposed to confess our sins one to another. Why? So that you and I might be healed. You know what we hate doing? Confessing our sins to one another. Wonder why our Christianity is weak and pitiful. This is the reason why. We don't boldly come to the throne of grace. We rarely come to the throne at all when it comes to sin. Because I'm good, right? You guys good? Yeah, we're good, right? Nothing wrong with us. You guys all had great weeks? Nothing wrong? Thought we were sinners saved by grace. But sometimes we give the impression that we're not sinners at all. And we are. Didn't change. It's going to struggle with sin till the day Jesus comes back. I'm sorry. I can't read anywhere in the scripture saying, boom, done. (laughs) Came to Jesus. You guys are there. That means there's going to be times for you and me where we're going to have to come up and say, I've messed up. Maybe we have to do that with our kids. We have to do that with our wife. We have to do it with our friends, with our other church members, family, friends, co-workers. Doesn't matter. Guess what? Still sinners. Saved by grace. Still sinners. Jesus died for that sin? Absolutely. But if we don't confess, we're not healed. If we don't forgive, we're not forgiven. We're, we're, I mean, these are the things that were talked about in the scripture. And, and yet, you and I have that hard time, don't we? This is what uh, Jesus was talking about. We referenced it last week, the week before last, with um, the woman at the well, Right? So we talk about the woman at the well. We talk about this changing of, of worship again. But the character of God hasn't changed, right? The changing of worship has changed. No longer needing sacrifices because Jesus is our sacrifice. But the idea that God wants people who worship in spirit and truth has never changed. Never changed. 
We read that in the Old Testament. That's why he rejects people who are saying, I want to worship God. I've got all the form right. I got my burnt offering. I got my fellowship offering. I just want to hold on to my sin. And God says, I reject that. You think he rejects that still today? I do. I really do. A false sense of worship that I'm going to come and put on, put on airs, right? Actually use that phrase right. I'm pretty happy about that. Make everybody think that everything is fine. Right? I can give my impression that I can live a holy life and hold on to my sin too. Too many of us as believers in Christ hold on to that and we live powerless lives as a result of it. Verse 21 of chapter 4, Jesus declared to the woman at the well, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. And yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Is that not what we're seeing both in the Old and in the New Testaments? Is that not the same character of God? We don't have a different God in the Old Testament and a different God in the New. It's the same God. Now the form of worship has changed because Jesus has come and fulfilled what we're reading about in Leviticus. That's exciting. We should be excited as we continue to read. So we don't have a tabernacle anymore. We come and meet together because Jesus has called us to. We don't have to be in Jerusalem, you know, where the temple is in order to see the presence of God. The presence of God is filled in us because of the Holy Spirit. And yet, we see the exact same principles. So let's take a look. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. Some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. If you love me, these are the words of Jesus, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you, do it, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Do you guys hear that same, that same passion, right? If you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. He who does not love me does not obey my commands. You guys understand? This is the fellowship offering. This is the grain offering. This is the burnt offering. 
It's just worked out in real life. We're not offering lambs. We offer ourselves, right? But he who loves me will obey my commands. The whole reason Samuel, Saul is rejected as king is because he doesn't obey God. He says, you know, to obey is better than sacrifice. You wanted to give all this to me thinking this is what I wanted. I wanted you to obey me. That's what I wanted. Don't tell me you love me by disobeying me. Has, has anything changed? Jesus says what? If you love me, what? You'll obey my commands. He who does not love me does not obey my commands. Somebody walking in perpetual disobedience to Jesus is the exact same as the people of Israel who wanted to offer burnt offerings and fellowship offerings and grain offerings before the Lord to show my love for my God and not follow him because they were too afraid to go before the Lord and said, I've sinned before my Lord and my God either unintentionally or willfully, and I need redemption that only comes through Christ. And me, my responsibility in showing my love is through my obedience. Then my grain offerings are accepted. Then my fellowship offerings are accepted. Then my burnt offerings are accepted before the Lord. you know why? Because I'm loving him through my obedience. And that's a sacrifice. That's a pleasing aroma to God. Too many of us, too many of us think that we can have our sin and our Savior too. I don't see it in the Scripture, Old or New Testament, because the character of God is consistent. You and I are going to sin. We're going to struggle with sin. We're supposed to confess with one another. We need to start, start being a little bit more unashamed concerning what we struggle with. Not to excuse it. Not to make it into a gossip session where, did you hear what such and such did? Though That we might truly confess to one another, pray for one another, that we might be healed. And walk in obedience and show our love through our obedience to our Lord and Savior again. This is where the sacrifices kind of intersect with our faith in Jesus Christ. It's the instruction book that you and I still need, right? I used to have a t-shirt that I liked a long time ago, hate it now. It had a Bible on it, it said, if all else fails, read the instructions. That's stupid. I thought it was great at the time. If all else fails, read the instructions. Like I get a new game. If all else fails, just throw all the pieces out there. Try to figure it out on your own. That's stupid. It's a lot better if I read the instructions and try and figure out how to play the game right, right? Same thing with you and me. It's better if we're in the Word of God to hear the Word of God, to understand the Word of God as we're talking about today, that we might understand that Jesus says that it is impossible for us to love him while disobeying his commands. That we can't come in with an offering before God that, that says, I love you, Lord, while walking in disobedience. What we need is repentance, a turning away, a confession of sin that we might be healed. And then we will be able to walk clearly with our Lord and Savior. And for you and me to deny that we don't struggle with that? is a denial of everything that's written in the word of God concerning our human nature even after we're saved. We struggle with it. Fighting of the flesh and spirit happens right here. Won't happen when we're in heaven. So we better be good at confessing. 
and be a confessing church so that we can be healed and start walking with God again. So those things are not a barrier to our relationship with God so that we don't aren't called by the world around us hypocrite when we say we love Jesus, but they know that we're living a life that's totally apart from him, deceiving not only them but ourselves in the mirror. It's why Paul uses the same sacrificial language in Romans chapter 12 to describe the type of life you and I are supposed to live. Let's take a look at it real quick. Romans chapter 12, just the first two verses. Therefore, I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Sacrificial language on purpose by Paul saying that you and I are the ones that are on the altar. We are that burnt offering. We are that fellowship offering. We are offering ourselves before God, living for him. Is that where you're at? What kind of offering are you giving God in our time together? Are we putting a good face on things and not confessing our sins? It doesn't have to be up here at the front of the altar, but in our small groups among people who are fellow believers in Christ, are we confessing before the Lord that we might be healed so that we can live for Jesus and show our love through obedience? How are we really doing? Because in the end, it's only his acceptance of our sacrifice that makes the difference. Not mine. Who am I? Not the people we're trying to impress. I want to be right before the Lord. But that means I might have to confess that I'm a sinner. I might have to confess that I'm guilty. I might have to confess that I need a Savior and I need to turn my life around so that I can offer my love through obedience. And it be accepted by God. Do you stand with me? Can I ask elders to come forward? And they're not any better than anybody else. And elders, I will tell you the same thing I will tell myself. You got sin to confess, and you need to be the first ones. We need to be that example, unashamed, coming before the Lord, realizing I'm not the Savior. I'm just one who's serving him. If you have a need of repentance, of turning away, if you've been trying to live your life your way and still serve God too, I pray that today you'll give that up. You'll come before the Lord, confess your sin, turn around, repent, obey him, and then give him the true sacrifice. That's pleasing to him, acceptable to him. That's my prayer for each one of you. That's my prayer for myself. That we might live empowered lives before Jesus. 
without hypocrisy, confessing our sin, our guilt, so that we can bring the proper offerings of praise and sacrifice and obedience that's pleasing to him that he'll use for his glory. That's you who needs that today, you come. No judgment. We're right there with you. Sincerely, we really are. Let's get better at being a confessing church. God, thank you so much for this time that we have together today. Thank you for something as seemingly mundane as looking at the offerings of the people of Israel that we can learn more about ourselves, our frailties, oh Lord, the things we don't want to do that they didn't want to do, and the type of worship that you truly accept. Help us be those worshipers who worship you in spirit and truth because of what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.